The evils of socialism. <clears throat> the evils of socialism? Mm-hmm. You okay, said capita well, capitalism versus socialism, right? Sure, as like a, a general broad strokes topic. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. So evils of socialism, what do you... Like, okay, so why don't you go ahead and make a claim then? A claim about socialism? Yeah, so you just want to talk about the evils of socialism to start with. So let's kind yeah, of... I'll give, do you want to narrow in on that subject a little bit? Sure, I'll, I'll give a definition. I'll give two definitions. And we can okay. narrow in. So the first definition for socialism is... Uh, Socialism is a populist ideology designed to incite resentment, theft, and violence to gain political and economic control. Uh, second definition is socialism is a centralized, state-controlled economy with heavy government regulations, oversight, and resource distribution. Socialism is associated with authoritarianism, repression of political dissent, limitations on individual freedoms, political and social upheaval, and economic instability. Okay, are those the definitions of socialism that you were working with? Yes. First one, I... Uh, and then, and I I'm not so a socialist. You're not a socialist. If, oh, if that's the definition of socialism that we're using, then no, I'm not a socialist. Okay. Do you uh, believe in class struggle? Uh, yeah, to an extent. I don't believe in like an over-mythologized -myth -myth uh, sense of class struggle, but yeah, I think that there is a... There is strats, uh, Strat, uh, sorry, class stratification that emerges as a natural consequence of capitalism, and people in in differ, different strata of that of those classes, by the nature of being in that class, will have differing and contradictory material interests and disparate access to power and political capital, which affects how the government functions and what interests the government serves. And they will use that that power or, or political capital to be in conflict with the other classes or the worker class. Yeah, to some extent or another, I think that's true. Now, okay, I, I don't so, think that that is so, always the same level of true, but to some, I think it's self-evident to one extent or another that, oh, that's, I, that that's I, true. I disagree completely that it is true and that it is self-evident, but uh, I mean, basically it's class struggle. It's vanilla class struggle huh? pretty much uh, like the wiki entry of an, of class struggle i mean you, you you said that you're not you're not adopting the historical materialism or are you i'm not sure but you mentioned you're not adopting the historical materialism uh, version of class struggle but you're saying it's self evident well as an example right just as like a more specific example if i have a if i have a firm Right, mm -hmm. and in that firm, I have employers and employees. Uh, well, so but wait, wait. Let me. I understand. I understand what you're going. Let me just uh, before we get to that. Uh, let me just uh, extend what I said at the beginning, and then you can give that that example. Okay. Um. So basically, the first definition I gave is that it is a populist ideology, and the idea here is class struggle, and the. If I if I expand more on what I mean by populist, is that you have a majority in group, and you have a minority out group, and the populism is saying that that minority out group is causing all our problems for the majority in group. 
that will be the populist. Your scapegoating or the ideology scapegoats a minority out group. So the focus of attention, hatred is on the minority out group that is causing all the issues. That would be the definition. And I think if you agree with class struggle, then to some degree you're agreeing with that definition, at least as, as I've explained it. Okay, I mean, is there a question in there? Do you, do you agree that that is how I phrased it? Do you agree with how I phrased it? I think that the overall description of class struggle is fine, but I think it's very reductionist, and I think that there are a lot of other things that come into play here. I don't think that it's just this like sort of mythologized we have our in-group majority in-group and all of the problems in the world are caused by this minority out-group and it's all their fault so they need to be like overthrown i don't really subscribe to that sort of level of reductionism okay so assuming assuming you believe in class struggle to some degree or let's say you're saying it's a it's a nuanced approach um yes you still are for uh, taking away the means of production from the capitalists and giving it to the workers, or is that not the case? Um, I would say in general, yes. Uh, but there's many different ways to go about doing that. I'm not a revolutionary. I'm a reformist, uh -huh. so I don't believe in like a violent insurrection where some imagined future where all the workers or poor people or the peasant class takes torches and, and pitchforks and goes and kills all the rich people and takes their shit. I don't think that that's an intelligent way about planning a future for an economic system in a society. That's not what I subscribe to. I see. So you, you disagree with how the USSR went about implementing socialism? Yes, I am not. I, do, I am not a supporter of the USSR or of Maoist China or of any Marxist-Leninist or Maoist um, approach towards building socialism. Okay. Do you also disagree with uh, Marx, Marxian socialism? Because specifically those two examples that you gave um, did have the element of the dictatorship of the proletariat, where uh, control of the means of production, at least in the initial stage, was given to the state. Is that something you disagree with? That's I I that is what I would refer to as vanguardism, and I'm not a vanguardist. No. Okay, so you hope that incrementally over time, with democratic votes, to implement what the USSR implement implemented, but without the revolution. Uh sort of. Although I I don't um, I don't think that um. There are so for the USSR, I, I'm not um, necessarily in favor of abolition of markets. I think that markets are perfectly fine for production of certain commodities. I think that like, for instance, I don't want the government, I don't want like a nationalized government owned industry in charge of making shoes for me to buy. I don't think that the government is good at doing that. I think the market does fine at doing that. I think that I would want to have enterprises engaged in that production that have a higher degree of worker ownership and, and um, democratic control by the workers. But um, I don't think that uh, abolition of markets outright is 
is something that like I ideologically subscribe to. We told I told you in text chat, like I'm not I don't really consider myself like an ideological hardliner. I'm not one of these leftists that you're gonna argue with that's like I've adopted X ideology and now I'm gonna contort all and jump through all of these logical hoops to make the world fit that ideology. I think that's really short-sighted. Um so that's my so I think that like there's lots of areas in the economy where nationalization, decommodification, and some degree or another of economic planning makes sense. I think the private sector already engages to in, in this to a certain extent, so it's not so foreign to us to think about economic planning. Um, but yeah, for the USSR specifically, like I think that, I mean, the Stalin era was obviously terrible and there was very little redeeming qualities to it. But after that, it's sort of a mixed bag. There are some things that they did well, so a lot of things they didn't do well, and uh, you'll find that in the history of pretty much every nation on Earth if you look at it. Um. So w if you are okay with some markets or, I don't know, mo mostly markets with some nationalization, then I, yeah. assume, I assume that you accept, well, obviously money, but uh, so it's not a cashless, it's not a moneyless society. Um, it is, yeah. you, you will have inequality, you will have, monopolies you'll have i mean potentially you'll have um i don't know pollution and 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 profit motive and stuff like that i don't let the the perfect become the enemy of the good i think that um perfect equality a cashless society the abolition of the state you know if you're an anarcho communist or something i think that these are fine thought exercises they are fine idealistic goals to always work towards do i think it's realistic to actually achieve not really well, i think do, that it's like a it's a you, direction to move in um you, per, sort of perpetually but can you expand on it's fine to work towards what do you mean by that so so if you think of like perfect equality as a like everybody is equal everybody has the exact same material conditions if you think that is like perfect equality right i think that as an idealistic vision that is a good thing to work towards uh, um but it, well because i think that like people have like like i value people equally and i think that like the most ideal society is one where everybody has equal opportunity and and equal material conditions well equal, the, mm. that's equal outcomes what if they're all but what if what if the end result of that is everyone has really um, like shitty we're, we're, sorry oh, well sorry. we're kind of in a oh, debate I, I didn't know we, you guys we, went a one-on-one sorry yeah we 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 kind of I guess we can move to one on one, but I was fine with other. No, no, I didn't know it. I, I did not know that. I just I just had those. No, yeah, we talked. We like schedule this ahead of time. So um, no problem. No, no, I'm 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 a mod. I don't want to intervene in your little in your little debate. I'm I'm happy to just listen. Yeah, okay. no worries. Um, so so I mean, so yeah, uh, equal I'll repeat. I'll repeat, like, I'll repeat what I yeah. said. So basically, I said that's uh, equality of outcome. So everyone is the same, has the same, will result in the same things, same outcomes? Um, no, I mean, I don't believe in, in the kind of equal outcome that has to be artificially created, you know? But my, my belief is that um, people have differing degrees of, of, of talent and skills and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's not, like, given equal opportunity, there are... Um, 
people might because I, I do believe in like merit meritocracy, right? So if if you you know people who are more talented and more intelligent, maybe you know it's it's not unreasonable to expect them to achieve like better conditions, better standards of living for themselves. Mm -hmm. But my intuition is that if equality of opportunity was perfectly equal across the board, the disparity in the outcome between people would be a lot more narrow than it is today. And I, that is something that why, is, why is, is, that is at least like, why is that important? Why is that important? Yes. I mean, is it not, you don't what's think the it's important? What's, for, the, what's the justification for it? Sorry. I mean, just based off of principles, you don't think it's important. Yeah, what is the what is the more what is the moral justification for it? Sorry. Um, I mean, I think it's sort of a normative uh, claim, right? I, like, I just think that people in society should all have equal opportunity to achieve um, as much for themselves as possible. Well, to some degree, you're. I don't think you can make the claim that it's uh, equal opportunity. I, I think you're stretching it to egalitarianism that everyone has equal stuff equal equal things and you can say that you know from some point they can take it from there and that will be the equal opportunity but it but why is it important to do this any what is it important to you to do this in any case what is the moral justification for it i mean so like i said the moral justification is basically that um i mean on a basic level i sort of think it's unfair that some people are born into really good circumstances where they they have lots of opportunity and other people are born into shitty circumstances where they have no opportunity. That's sort of like a, if you, if you take, if I, if I make a normative claim, that's like, I believe that society should be fair. Um, then it's downstream from that claim. Right. And that claim is sort of like axiomatic in a way. Yeah. You can, you can say, you know, that is my, my core axiom or like a irreducible primary, but well, how is it, let me, let me put it this way: If someone, if someone was born to good circumstances and someone born to bad circumstances, why is it the case that someone was born to good circumstances has to pay for, let's say, pay or sacrifice something uh, in that situation? Because it's not necessarily their fault that someone else was born into bad circumstances. So when you say fairness, is it just like? across the map uh i just like it to be fair or is it well is, it's is not just i like it to be fair it's i think there's also a, a a pragmatic argument to be made in the sense that i think that we have a societal interest in maximizing um sort of the the equality of opportunity that different people in society have because opportunity translates into one's ability to actualize a potential for um for talent and contribution to society. And I think that uh, given a society that lacks that sort of equality and opportunity, that we all miss out on the talent that's squandered because of less than suitable conditions to, um, to develop it and actualize it as, as, uh, as a force, as, as a component in the greater force of um, productivity in the in the society right like somebody somebody who's born in really poor circumstances who has very little access to quality education you know in another life this person might actually be very talented given the the resources they need to actualize that talent this person could be a very high functioning member of society they could be um you know a doctor or an engineer or something like that um 
but because of the the opportunity that's denied to them, they're never they're never able to do that, and we miss out on having them do that. You know. Okay, so so the argument is that it's beneficial to have a a fair fairer society or society with more equality of opportunity because then you get to uh, then because then the people in that society can benefit the rest can do stuff or achieve things that benefit the rest of society is that is that accurate to say yeah basically i think that we all have a vested interest in maintaining a society that has equality of opportunity okay so let's let me say this in capitalism let's say free market capitalism the basic idea is that while you may not have the same starting position, as mu- all the obstacles are removed, or as much as the obstacles are removed from achieving success. So essentially, if you are born poor, but you're very ambitious, then you, you basically will get like a, a rags to riches story, where the things that stand in your way, as, as many of the obstacles that, that would stand in your way to, be, to become rich, if you choose to work hard and you know work smart and, and do all the things that you need to do to to get rich and just like if you open like any any book like how to get rich kind of do these 10 things if you do these 10 things then you will achieve then you will become rich so in that would be like the benefit of capitalism so while you may not have been born equal and and born equally you, you can still achieve success and benefit the rest of society according to what you're saying yeah, I mean, th- and that's true to an extent. There are people who do that, but I, I think that, I think that overall, the 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 broader trend is that people who are born into poverty, uh, even if they do c- climb the economic ladder, they climb the economic ladder from out of poverty into lower middle class. People climb the ep- e- economic ladder out of upper middle class into being rich. Um, but you know, the the biggest predictor of where you end up. Social, socioeconomically is where you started socioeconomically, right? I mean, like obviously somebody. Well, we don't. Who, who we don't is, have the. We don't have the free market capitalism. I'm espousing, but if you, if you want to go back in history, and let's say, you know, you you take early America, when all the immigrants were coming in, you, you had like basically poor immigrants from Ireland, from Jamaica, uh, and within like you know. By by the second generation, or maybe something like the first generation, they were doing very well. Like Jamaicans, for example, were doing better than the. I think it was in Manhattan that where they where some of them landed. This is uh, not not uh, slaves. These were just post slavery Jamaicans. Um, they landed there. They opened their own businesses, and and a generation after them were doing better than the whites in in that area, as a comparison. So I, I think. If you want to, if you want to tell a story with social mobility, I mean, immigration is is a, and certainly in freer markets, has certainly a lot of things to say. I mean, sure. I don't think that it's like the entire history of capitalism has been all just nothing but terrible. But I think that more broadly, like you know, if we on a if we if we think on a more societal level. And maybe, you know, we think a little bit more collectively. We have enough resources in this country to give everybody a like a, a quality education, good housing, good nutrition, good health care, all of that stuff, the no, baseline I, we really that people don't. need for development. We we really don't. That's that's uh, we absolutely do. 
That's we absolutely a, do. I would say that's a bit pie in the sky. I would, I would say, and this is the problem I have with the uh, class struggle, that, that the idea, that the philosophical notion here is that we have abundance <clears throat> currently. And the only reason why not everyone has like a good or enough abundance is because some people are holding it, like a, a class are holding it away from everyone else. So you have a situation in, in class struggle or it's man versus man, where we, we've achieved abundance, but we just haven't distributed it yet. When in reality, it's not true. It's a, in an ideal world, it should be man versus nature, because nature is what causes us to be hungry, what, what kills us with, with diseases and viruses, what kills us with uh, hurricanes and, and uh, floods and whatnot. So if we had a situation where instead of us fighting each other, because of different classes and, and working together uh, in a sort of harmonious way through capitalism, through trade, as in a, a peaceful way of cooperating, I think we would achieve a lot more. And I think even if you think about it from like a, a societal point of view, you'd, you'd have like this framework for achieving human flourishing and everyone would benefit from it. Everyone in that society will benefit from it. I don't agree we have enough to for, to solve all the problems. I think that's wishful thinking. I mean, you say that. So a couple points to that. If it was not just if it, it was if man versus man was not it was not a factor here, and if it was only man versus nature, then then why is is the scarcity that is that is a product of nature not distributed evenly? Right. I mean, the fact that like we do have um, resources that we've extracted from neighbor from nature, but those are the allocation of those resources show high degrees of disparity. Tell it tells me that the conflict is not can only cannot only be explained by man versus nature. There's obviously also a man versus man element. Otherwise, I mean, I why, mean, the, why, some, why would they not be? To some degree, you you already agreed with inequality to some to some effect. So you said that we're not all the same, and we're, we're all we don't all have the same talent. So just just by that, we'll have some degree of disparity. Now, if, if we just say we have high degrees of disparity, then I would say to some degree, one of two things. Either it's as a result of government intervention in the markets that have caused it and I can specify, or you could say you could have like a bad way of viewing it. For example, you can say there's a global, there are global companies that operate within America, but they, op but they, the headquarters in America, but they operate across the world and all the money is pooled in America. And then, but but you take like an Excel sheet and take the the money that's in America, and compare it to everyone else, it looks skewed. So it depends on how it is that you're looking at it. But in in general, America is doing well. It's certainly doing better than where I'm from. So, for example, if you take the household income in in the U.S., including for um, federal transfers and and social programs in kind. The U.S. has more, has almost twice as much money. Sorry, the U.S. The, the U. The U.S. median household has almost twice as much money as the British uh, median household. So obviously, you guys are doing something well. The people there are benefiting from it, and people here that have all the social welfare programs that you are aspiring to are not doing that that well. I mean, we're economically stagnating. We've got very high taxes. Again, and we and we are struggling to pay for our uh, national healthcare service, and, and amongst other things. 
One of the reasons for that is because capitalism is predicated on a notion of endless growth, right? Because it's investment in in, in endless growth and 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 increasingly um, continually increasing rates of return quarter over quarter that is necessary to keep this economic engine of capitalism going, right? Because if I'm investing in a company, it doesn't matter if I'm getting um, the same dividends from that company. If I'm a shareholder, it doesn't matter if I'm getting the same dividends from, from that company quarter over quarter. If that my dividends are not growing then there's no reason for me to invest in the company. I'm going to divest and take that money elsewhere, which means that, 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 that firms within capitalism have an artificial drive to always maintain a certain level of growth, regardless of whether or not the growth of that sector of economy is demanded on a, on a societal level, whether or not people actually need it. That's one of the, the issues with capitalism that I have. Um, so yeah, when economies stagnate, when the GDP growth percentage year over year, that rate starts to go down, then there's a lot of um, economic symptoms that arise as a result of that that are completely and totally artificially created. There's no there's no change in the amount of natural resources that that a country that's experiences experiencing something like this has. There's no change in the amount of labor force that a country that's experiencing like something like this, like a recession, has. It's all artificially created. It's in the numbers. It's just because capitalism requires that growth. And if it doesn't, the whole system starts to break down, which is why and 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 it's not going to get better because this is just the trend of development in in western nations and modernized nations as we reach a certain level of development our populations will start to taper off okay, our economies me, will start to me, taper off and our rates of growth will start to stagnate and if we don't do something about that if we don't so if we don't for... take our economic system and then translate it into something that works a different way it's going to cause the whole thing to break down. See, uh, hold on just a second. So you are for degrowth? You want to like stop the notion of growth or the emphasis on growth? I want to grow the the parts of the economy that we decide need to be grown, and I want to maintain so, yeah, the parts so of the economy that we Got decide it. don't need to grow, and we I want to degrow the parts of the economy that we decide need to shrink, like energy production. It depends. Yeah, I mean, maybe it depends. Right. So you're like, you're, you're a socialist degrowther. I got it. So Jason Hinkle and all that. I understand. Um. Yeah. So I, I would disagree uh, vehemently. Uh, first of all, I would say that the idea of growth, economic growth, is can be infinite or is infinite because it's not based on materials per se. It's based on human innovation. Uh, human human minds look at try to solve problems and they. They you can say that we have a finite planet and we have a certain number of atoms on it, a finite number of atoms on it, but how we uh, coordinate those atoms through you through the human mind is in fact infinite. Oh well, is infinite is it's a very very large number. It's it's the same way of of taking like a, a chessboard and putting like a grain of rice and and uh, doubling it per square and you'll get a very very high number. So. In terms of, of growth, in terms of economic growth, we're talking about human innovation, we're talking about improving our standards of living, we're talking about um, things that people find useful that, that improve their life. And in general, um, we kind of tie, our, or at least the UK does, our, our welfare systems based on that economic growth. So for, for example, it's not the case that we 
pay the same amount of money for the National Health Service, we, we expect the economy to grow and we expect to pay it more every year. But if it doesn't grow, then we don't have the money to, to pay it more. So, for example, if we, like the, the requirement is to increase the, the, the budget for the NHS by 4% every year, and let's say, or, or people will, you know, start getting worse services. And over time, things cost more and more money as well. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, something called cost disease. But over time, things become more expensive, especially in, uh, in uh, government services. Uh, they just increase price over time. And uh, if we don't generate more wealth to fund those things, then they become worse. And especially now, if we actually shrink, then it's unsustainable. So either way, I mean, you can't, it's not like we have enough of anything and we just need to distribute it. That's not the case. Well, that's just a symptom of how the economy works, right? So like, for instance, like a, a good example of how the need for constant economic growth can introduce incentives that are, that are society, societally harmful is, for instance, in well, planned what, what, do you, what do you mean by it, this? What, what do you mean by this? So let me just uh, preface what you said. Technically, econo economic growth is stuff people want to pay for. So why is that society, har society harmful? Economic growth is things that people want to pay for? Yeah, when, when, when you make stuff that people want to buy, they want to, that it improves the, they decide that it's going to improve their life so they wish to pay for it, or it's, they are, they are happy to part with their money for this good that will give them more benefit than the money in their pockets, right? So yeah. how, is, how is that a negative thing? Because now you're, you're basically kind of saying that people going after stuff that they think will make their life better is bad for society. That's not what I'm saying. Well, I, I I'm that, saying that's that. what you're saying. I'm saying I'm saying that's not what I'm saying, and your response to that is you're saying that's what I'm saying. Let, let me let me let me explain. In essence, what I, what I've described is how how markets function. I think we can agree on that. You're saying sometimes that hurts society, so I'm asking you to clarify in what way. So I was about to give an example of that before you Go interrupted ahead. me, right? So the example, a, a good example of this is planned obsolescence, right? So if there's a demand for a certain product. Let's say, I don't know, laptop computers. It can be any product, but laptop computers, because um, I'm on one right now. Um, there's a demand that people have. They want to have laptop computers, right? So there's a firm that comes up and they uh, produce the products and they sell it to people. And people have their laptop computers. Um, and we're done. Everybody has it. Good. Except that's not the case because once... Uh, you achieve like a market saturation and everybody has that product. That's no, the shareholders don't like that because you're not selling a product anymore. So you have to invent a way to sell, keep selling the product. So you purposefully make your products inferior, more disposable, more replaceable, um, so that you make it a phenomenon where people buy a new product, ditch it every one or two years, throw it in a landfill, and then buy a brand new product. Um, there's not an incentive on building quality things that last um, and can be um, and can be modified and repaired and reconfigured um, to serve like a, a long service lifetime. Because if you do that, 
that is against that is against shareholder interests because shareholder interests are to increase profits quarter over quarter by selling more product at more margin right so that's an example of how the pursuit of endless growth can introduce incentives that cause things to function in a less than ideal way okay let me reply to your example so i would say that even if if uh, let's say apple wants to sell phones uh, every year and they would like people to give up their phones and uh buy new ones throw away their old phones and buy new ones it obviously doesn't always work out for them because they themselves are complaining that uh people aren't doing it fa fast enough and that the people are keeping older phones for longer and they even have this incentive program that when you buy a new phone you can hand in your own phone for some cash back and they recycle recycle the phone so it's not in a landfill either way um i for example have an iphone 7 that i'm still using and also with laptops with apple laptops you can have it for like four or five years obviously you know you you want the shinier things and you want it to go faster and over time you know there are new requirements that that uh, people want faster hardware for that that's perfectly normal but i would say in terms of um the the landfill example i would say that you're missing out a, a key example that is beneficial for society and i assume nature is something called dematerialization in uh in a iphone we have several devices that you're no longer using a separate device for you're no longer using an mp3 player you're no longer using a, a gps you're no longer using a torch you're no longer using a calculator and so on and so on and so on you're just using one tiny device uh with all these features that in fact is extendable with other apps as they come along and you don't need to buy like 10 different devices and carry those with you and those devices would have some kind of material component with them that would then need to be thrown in a landfill with capitalism everything tries to be more innovative include more functionality more things and as a result you have dematerialization I mean that could be an aspect but planned obsolescence is a very real and documented thing and it's not so just with dematerialization. Okay, but still I mean you have the problem of like disposability um companies have a have a have a profit incentive to engage in practices of dis disposing waste that are environmentally harmful. Well, they I don't have agree. Interest I, I think that's I think that's a functional You the don't agree. Wait. You don't agree that you want to know what water in my country was like before the Clean Water Act? Rivers I, were catching again, again, let me let me uh, let me rephrase what I said. So, in my world, through what I would suggest as more of a legal system to protect against uh, property rights violations such as pollution, it uh, these would be less of an issue. The, the problem that you have in in your world is that the a company goes to the government and says, I, I would like to dump this waste. Can I dump it here? And then they'll fact they'll do the following calculation. They'll say, look, this this company, let's say, produces steel. And in a utilitarian sense, um, steel is very valuable for society as a whole. So we're gonna allow them to pollute a little bit or or a lot because what they produce is valuable to society. Similarly, in the UK, like around the time of industrialization, in the cities, there was a lot of um, pollution from chimneys, from, from smog, like, like really thick smog. 
uh, from burning burning coal, and there wasn't like a like a filter on it that reduces it, and everyone was like coughing. And around the city there was smoke, but the result of that pollution, which was electricity, people would dare wouldn't dare give up on. Like the mayor wouldn't. No one wanted to uh, give up on that. Over time, when countries get richer, what is what is known as the environmental Kuznets curve, you, you over time, like when, when countries don't have any money, they they pollute more because they want to get more energy and and, and manufacture more things. And then over time, when they be, when they reach a particular point of wealth, they start caring more about the environment and they start reducing the pollution and becoming more efficient with certain things. And that's basically what we're seeing right now. Where, for example, when we GDP and CO2 emissions have been decoupled in the more richer parts of the world, Western countries. So over time, we're, we're emitting less CO2, but the GDP still keeps going up. So it is decoupled. Okay. I mean, you don't you don't think that companies have a profit incentive to, like, what profit incentive do companies have in like well, I mean, I'm, of waste? I'm, I'm, in environmentally friendly ways. So what I'm saying is, it they they may they may wish to to just dump it, right? But in in a system of property rights, if you dump waste in my backyard, I will sue you for a lot of money, and they would not be able to dump it in that manner. What are you going to sue? What are you, what what law are you going to sue them under? There's no Clean Water Act. Like in court, you violated my property. Legally, how would you argue that if there's no regulatory if there's no regulatory definition of of, of what if you, if you like dump wa- if if you dump well if you dump waste what well, sorry is the question is how do I know that you've dumped waste? No, how do you like you don't just sue people for violating your property? It's usually you sue them because they violated a specific law in regards to your property. No, no, right? they no, no, they violate they dumped garbage or waste or pollution in my property they violated my property and i just on that i take them to court yeah but if there's if there's no legislation or regulation that establishes what acceptable the, the property rights is are you finish are you going to interrupt me the whole time because if that's what's going to go i'm just leaving go ahead all right so if there if there's no regulatory basis for what the standard is of water quality then somebody viol- like somebody violated your property it's just your opinion Right, so there would still need to be like a certain degree where I go. To, so if it's if it's not obvious, like they didn't dump like a pile of of pollution on on my property, and I see the pile of pollution, I see them dumping, and I said, "Hey, you can't do that. I'll take you to court." That that we agree is is understandable, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pretty blatant. But the problem with okay, water sure. pollution is, so that, if, is that it's obviously it's it's usually not like visually detectable there can be trace Great. elements of very harmful chemicals in the water and without institutions that are deputized to enforce regulations in order to monitor this thing the the it, the, the burden putting me, the burden on individual people that own property is just not allow never gonna me work. to and it, it, it didn't work in history allow me to answer your question so i would hell yeah hello <laughs> so we have a, a debate here yeah, so let me answer your question. So you would need someone in the law to say that if if you're, you would need objective metrics, objective, sorry, levels that say if your water has above, sorry, above something of a particular chemical, above something of that, 
then someone has damaged your property. And once you have those in place, then you can say, uh, then you can go to your water, detect the difference, and say, this person has uh, dumped in my water because it's downstream from me, and uh, I'm going to sue them for that. Yeah, congratulations. You just described how the Clean Water Act works. Right, there's a difference between what I'm suggesting and, and regulation. I'm not sure that is a regulation. That would be a regulation, right? So this isn't what I'm suggesting is not a regulation. Yeah, yeah, it is. Right, that's so what regulations a, are. That's what regulations are. So let me explain the difference between a, re, a violation of property rights and regulation. There's there's a fundamental difference between the two. Regulation is, in a in a sense, uh, you're guilty until you prove your innocence. Meaning, there's a regulation that says you can't dump this and you have to prove before you do anything that you're not going to dump x whereas in a in a sort of property rights or, or or any any rights violation you're you're innocent until you're proved guilty so you someone has to prove that that you violated the rights you, you go to court and you say look here's my here's my what here's the evidence for them violating the rights they have violated my rights then and, and I need compensation so it's it's the opposite in that sense why well, would What's the yeah? But what's the benefit of that, right? Because if like if we are if we're if there's a big factory, if there's like a giant power plant or factory that's operating, and a lot of times these things need like large amounts of water in order to fuel fill um like fuel like uh, steam driven turbines or something. So they put on a river, right? And mm-hmm. let's say that we want to keep the 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 purity like the quality of the water in that river good. So part of the permitting process is that the company develop like, like we require by law that the company developing on the rivers, like the side of the river has to demonstrate like a water purification system that meets what such and such standards. Why is that bad? Isn't that just like catching the problem before it happens? So the problem is with regulations is that they're highly restrictive and they basically, if I, they're basically crippling, the they're, basically, they're basically crippling to the economy. And in the way, I can explain why, but let's just, for a second, the way I'm uh, I'm saying is it's still handled by the government. It's just not by a regulatory agency, but by the court system. And the court system obviously has, has to be reinforced. There has to be more objective guidelines to these things. But it's not like a regulatory agency where you speak to an a, to a bureaucrat and they have to pass a certain amount of laws. And it becomes very you you get into a situation basically right now where you have 4.7 million. Um, restrictions on companies in the U.S. at least at least from 2020. So it's very difficult to know what it is that you've broken or what it is not that you've broken, and it's just very difficult to operate in that sort of environment. If you if let's say you want to open a, a factory, there's a quarter of a million restrictions that you need to learn, uh, you know, before you can start anything. Or if you don't, then you know, you can get fined or put out of business without you even knowing that you've broken anything. So it's very difficult to know these sorts of things. And I think in general, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which I don't think it's a government thing, I think it's a, it's like a outside the government thing, said that the regulations on the whole um, cost the U- U.S. $1.9 trillion a year. Now, in my... Okay, in my system, but do you know how much... But, but do you know how much those regul... How do we know... Like, think about how many, uh, how much money those regulations saved. Because you, you know what? Why we have those regulations is because a hundred years ago, rivers were catching on fire, fish were dying, and people were losing their arms in factory ma- machinery. You don't think that there's a cost associated with all that damage? 
Right. So, okay, you threw a couple of things on 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 me there. Uh, so again, with the river catching fire would would fall under my suggestion. Uh, I'll I'll do the OSHA one in a, in in a bit later. But with the river catching fire will be within the realm of what I've suggested. Um, and I think to some degree my suggestion was actually stricter than than yours because at least because with yours, I can say for example that that uh, the U.S. military pollutes more than 140 countries combined. The other wings of the government do not regulate each other. Uh, these these agencies basically are outside the the voting mechanisms of the government. They can they basically can do what they want more or less. And they're not they're not uh, voted in. They're basically full time full time employees. Um, and um, I think it's uh, if you want to look at, like at the very negative thing of it, and we can talk about things like the FDA, where it's basically halted new medicine from from saving people's life. We can focus around the issues around the AIDS scare in in, in the eighties. And how the FDA didn't approve certain drugs that, because they didn't take it seriously at the time, or, or the drugs that they needed to approve, like the process would be five to ten years, and people were dying then and there. So we can look at the regulations and everything like that, but you, you can say that this is like a like a core of them, but could be useful. I I think that my suggestion covers that core very well. But uh, in general, they're very crippling to the economy and. Helping people get what they need. Okay, I totally disagree. And one of the reasons I disagree is because um, just some info about me. Like, I I'm an engineer. I work as a power systems engineer. I mm-hmm. deal with regulatory agencies. And a lot of these cases in, in industry, the regulations don't come from the government. They come from the industry. The, re- right. the 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 regulatory agency is just like a bulletin board where we stick it. Right. So a lot of times, there's there's regulatory and in, in, uh, agencies that exist in industries that exist because the industry back in the day begged for it. Because regulations actually promote universality. They promote compa- like technological compatibility. They promote reliability. They promote yeah, all I'm, of I'm, these things that help streamline and make an economy run more efficiently. So yes, they, they require an economic investment. They require money to function. But the point of it is that it's cost savings. It, 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 it saves all of the costs that are associated with all of the disasters that we that 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 happen when you have unregulated industry. Well, I, so right, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm for unregulated industry, and I was I I do like your example because I would say that I think the market uh, self regulates quite well. So, for example, we have the example you gave. We have business insurance, which would kind of like incentivize companies not to end in not to be in situations where they're litigated for a lot of money. And we kind of like nudge people through price mechanisms. We have underwriters. We have standards bodies. We have all these things are are positive in my sense. The, the thing I'm against is the state having like one large agency where they have to take care of, where they have to be responsible for a huge range of, of, of different industries. And but it's like a bottleneck that cripples, the, it's like a bottleneck that cripples progress. And it, it, in addition, it's a very. Um... But that's not how it works. 
there's not just one big state agency that that regulates everything. There are many different state agencies, and there's collaboration between state agencies and non-state agencies and academic institutions and private institutions. There's a whole range of this. There isn't just and, and a lot of these are completely independent from one another. There's not just one big regulatory agency that regulates the whole economy. That's just not how it works. No, 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 not. I didn't say a whole. I didn't say a whole economy. I was specifically thinking of one industry, but it is the case that if you have like one one large agency or several government agencies that it's highly bureaucratic and it's inefficient and it's a bottleneck and it in addition the incentive of the uh regulatory agencies is basically to to say no to everything to to deny they they have what's called the the precautionary principle where if something goes wrong they'll get in trouble but if they deny something and no one can experience this new medicine no they will not get blamed so i could say for i could say with you know, a degree of certainty that the FDA is making it very difficult to pass, uh, to approve medicine. It also uh, withdraws medicine like after a while. It, after, sorry, every year it withdraws a certain amount of medicine. Um, it, takes about, no it takes about $4 billion now. I don't, I'm not sure about the this statistic, but I, I saw it like from a, a study. It takes about $4 billion now to go through a variety of different compounds that at the end of all the all this work you'll have one approved uh patent to that you can then sell on the market from the FDA so it's it's becoming more and more expensive and more difficult to release uh, medicine okay it's you you say it's it's becoming more and more difficult to release medicine but i'm looking at uh i'm looking at data that because i was curious so i looked it up i was looking at data on um drugs that are approved by the fda each year and mm-hmm. like it's it's not going down in fact in the in the past few years it's been going up so i mean like there's no relationship between like how much does it how cost many to approve being approved. well i don't i don't know but like don't you think it's important that there are there are studies and trials that go into clearing a medicine for public use so that we understand that it's safe before we before we approve it yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not against like it being safe. I'm just, I'm just explaining that you're just against the whole process that goes into making sure that it's safe. I, I think you're. I think you're being facetious, uh, facetious here. Obviously, well, like, I how else are we supposed to? Yeah. Like, what, how do you? How do we go up? So do we just we just clear a medicine out the gate and we just wait until like X number of people die from it and, and then we act or like what? What do you? What's the alternative? Well, the alternative would be like some kind of market-based uh, testing f- testing facility, like the like the FDA, but that's uh, funded by, let's say, uh, doctors that are that are interested to know if this particular drug solved this particular prog- problem. In addition to that, if you did have something like that, you could have that for drugs that are out of patent, which you know you can you you can reuse drugs that are out of patent for new. Diseases, new viruses. You don't think that leaving you don't think that 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 as leaving the a process that is meant to assess drugs. Um, I, I am leaving. Pro- I, I am. I am leaving. You don't think from- that. You, you don't I think am. that leaving. You. Don't, I'm not. If you under. If you let me finish, you would understand that that's not what I'm saying. Seems to be something that you struggle with. So it, you think that a, that a process that is designed to make sure that drugs have medical efficacy and are safe. Leaving that up to market forces doesn't introduce perverse incentives. Why do you, are you, you don't think doctors are interested that the things that they use have efficacy and are safe? 
All I know, all I know is that drug pharmaceutical companies have a financial interest in selling their drug. And if there's a if if getting it cleared as a safe drug is a barrier between them and being able to do that, it seems to me that they would be willing to pay a lot of money to get the correct opinion that they're looking for from the people that are in charge of doing that. You mean what they're currently doing with the FDA? I mean, I'm sure that's what you think they're doing with the FDA. You you mean like but... you mean like uh, sorry specifically. Uh, people who work in the FDA then leave the industry and work as consultants for those same businesses to then be able to approve the drugs faster, like fentanyl and and stuff. And you know the the thing that replaced uh, Valium and all that kind of synthetic yeah. opioids. You you mean yeah. that the revolving door? That's a problem. What, uh-huh. what, what do you think is the, what do you think is is the so bigger the, cause so of the you, problem there? The, the FDA is an institution or the corrupting influence of capital? The the FDA any kind of any kind of institution there's there's only one right any kind of institution that's government institution that's supposed to regulate an industry will over time have like a symbiotic relationship with that uh, industry is just a fact whereas if you have like a, a market based solution we have more than one option if one of the uh, regul like inspectors or, or regulators market based regulators is turned out to be corrupt, then people will not pay them money to give their opinion. They'll go out of business. Whereas the government will see, never go out is, of business. See, the thing is that you say, like, if we had a market-based solution, if we had options, but we, if you, if you don't understand, if you know any, anything about how these this works in the private sector, you would know that that you would not have multiple options because people, because these industries depend on having an authority that they can put a stamp on their drug to, to show everybody that has medical efficacy and that it's safe. And eventually, over time, like the way that it would happen is 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 that these multiple choices would consolidate into a single choice that now has like no democratic accountability to the people and is only accountable to capital. That's nonsense. Of course, you have options, and in, in everything, you have more than one option. Especially in capitalism, the only way you would not have more than one option, even to what you've described, is if the government says, "I only want one, or I only want three of these agencies to exist and no more." Do you know about the breakup of Standard Oil? Monopolies yeah. occur organically in capitalism forever. Um, no, that's that's false. What was uh, Standard Oil broken up for? Having too low of prices? That's that's really bad. No. That's what? what they got broken up for. The prices were too low. Okay, so so monopolies are totally ca- caused by the government. It never happens in capitalism. That's what you're telling me. So what I'm what I can say is that objectively, the markets are the best ways to reduce monopolies over time. You can have a monopoly in, in uh, capitalism when you create something new. So, for example, if Apple comes up with a new smartphone that no one else came up with, they'll have a period of time. Well, they are the monopoly for that particular for that particular item. Standard Oil was for oil refining, and uh, you know then they bought up some uh, other refineries and stuff. Like that. But year over year, they've reduced prices. And the reason why, if you're interested to find out why they got broken up, was because uh, Rockefeller uh, funded the person who ran against the president at the time, whereas J.P. Morgan funded person who became president at the time. And J.P. Morgan, you're saying, we're talking about antitrust. J.P. Morgan had three trusts of, that he funded, the Steel Trust, Railway Trust, and I think Meat Packers or Meat Manufacturers Trust. None of those went before the antitrust, but the one that didn't pay, that uh, the president didn't like, within, I think, 
three to eight years was broken up. But it's but you can't say that it was broken up because it acted in a predatory way in a sense that the customers were paying high prices because they didn't have any other option. It was very low prices year over year. Okay, so I'm reading I'm I mean I'm reading the Wikipedia article on the breakup of Standard Oil and it says that the mm-hmm. government cited the reasons as as being four illegal patterns related to monopolistic practices and it was secret and semi-secret railroad rates discriminations in the open arrangement of rates discriminations in the classification rules of shipment discriminations in the treatment of private tank cars so like i don't so, see not, anything so nothing to do with nothing to do with the let me sorry so the i i would like you to, if, if it said it was had to do with predatory pricing because that was the large reason because the prices were, were, were low and they were assuming because the prices were low, they were trying to get rid of the competition and then increase prices. But is there is there a well, case for antitrust? Let me just ask the question: Is there a case for antitrust that the customers were paying high prices because it was a monopoly? Was that the issue? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see anything about it in here. But like, if if you're arguing that one of the natural outcomes of monopolies is that the consumers pay lower prices, then aren't why wouldn't you be no no the the, the opposite. Let me explain. So the idea of coercive monopolies is that um, a consumer would need the product, but they have no other option to go to. So the coercive monopoly can increase the price indiscriminately disregarded to demand. But that didn't happen in the case of Standard Oil. Okay. That's it? So, but, so you're in favor of monopolies then because they decrease the consumer like prices that they pay? No, that's the opposite of what I said. I'm I'm confused. Why are, are you anti-monopoly? I I am I am in a sense I'm anti-monopoly because I'm pro-consumer. A capitalist system is the best way to reduce monopolies. I mean, why? Because like you talk about Apple, right? Like mm-hmm. let me tell you what actually happens in the real world. What actually happens in the real world is that Apple doesn't have exactly a monopoly, but they have an extremely high percentage of market share. So when you have other companies that sprout up and they do make innovations, what 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 do they do? They, they don't. They're not a competitor to Apple. What they do is they they innovate and they invent a product. And their goal from the very beginning is to be bought by Apple because that's the that's the game when you get to that level. Is you buy up the competition, you you buy up the competition, you corner the market, and then you use that to basically like operate as a quasi monopoly like you don't it's not in the interest of capitalist business owners to have competition competition forces them to drive their prices down to compete they don't want to uh drive their prices down because lower prices means lower profit and their main motivator is profit which means that you have an incentive there to consolidate power within within singular like a few corporations that have massive market share like you people always talk about how like the best aspect of capitalism is the competition, but mm-hmm. within capitalism, there's an incentive structure that de that that de incentivizes competition. You want to eliminate competition, right? So the the businesses within capitalism would choose to uh, reduce competition as much as possible because that would eat into their profits. But as it is the market, and there's let's say if it was uh, free market capitalism, and there's no or very little barrier to entry. Then, if uh, you have a product or service that has a high high profit margin, and someone else sees, oh, this this there's a this is a good market to come into, then you have like they'll they'll pay the whatever it costs to uh, 
pass the barrier to entry, and then you'll have a permanent competitor. So just on the, the thought of having a permanent competitor, companies don't increase their prices. But there's always a barrier to entry in capitalism. The barrier to entry is capital. Right. So, but I, as I explained, they'll pay the capital and then the other person will have a, a competitor for life because they've, they've committed to it now. They've paid the capital, they've paid for the infrastructure or whatnot, and now they have to generate a profit so they'll, they'll compete and lower your prices. So, so companies, just on the threat of that, will keep prices low. Wait, companies will keep prices low just because they'll keep prices low just because they're afraid of a competitor happening to potentially come about in the future. Yeah, if if they have a very high profit margin. Sorry. Why? Why would they do that? Because they don't want the competitor to. They don't want too many competitors. No, because if I if I if I if I increase my market share, Mm -hmm. you know. By no, the reason actually the reason companies actually lower their prices is to secure market share, right? So if I have if I'm selling a product and I'm selling it for the cheapest, and I have a huge corporation and I can benefit from economies of scale and run my mm-hmm. business more efficiently, what I do is cut my prices as low as possible to secure as much market share as possible. Then when uh, when uh, I secure that market share, I jack up the prices and 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 get them as high as I can to get as much profit as possible. Then, if a competitor comes about later, what do you do? Then is when you slash your prices down and actually operate at a loss in some case, just to to steal all of their market share and deny them entry into the market. That's right, what but actually happens. But you can't do that infinitely. You don't have an infinite amount of of cash to um, like keep warding off. Uh, new competitors, new competitors, and and when a new competitor starts, they don't have. Let let's say you 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 try to do that, and you said I'm going to com- lose money for a period of time to kill my competitor, and then let's say you succeed, and and now you have a loss that you need to make up, but no problem, I'm just going to increase my prices and and uh, make up the, the the amount of money that I lost. Then if you raise the prices, and a new and a different new competitor says, oh, there's an opportunity here, I'm going to come into the market. They come into the market, they don't have the loss that you incurred to get rid of the previous guy. So you're, opera- you're operating at a disadvantage to them because they don't have the, the issue that you do. No, that's not true. Because, it is true. Because these, no, it's not true. Because companies that start up, do you, do you know, companies that start up nowadays and in the past, mm-hmm. it's, it's often years before they turn a profit, right? So like they're already operating in the red upon startup. That's how it works. Right. Right, So they they don't have an advantage. And then also furthermore, if I'm starting up a company and I already know that like the apples of the world, big corporation are like do this thing because I know that they do because like I'm smart and I like I'm a business guy, you know, like hypothetically in this situation, I've studied it. I know what their strategy is. Why would I do that? I know what they're going to do. I know that they're just going to kill me. So why would I even have the interest or the incentive to even start up a a competing business in the first place when I know that they're just going to fuck me? Right. So in the first in the first example, um, I already said that you need some capital to enter the market, but it's not like a, it's not like a heavy heavy loss that you did to get rid of a competitor that you competed for a long time and you tried to give like really strong, really low prices. And and by the way, for the really low prices, have you ever considered that the competitor can just let, let's say you're you're selling alcohol 
and you're selling it at a much lower price, why can't the competitor just buy alcohol from you at, at this low price and sell it to other people? Because you're offering it at below price rate. So they're like, yeah, okay, give it to me. Wait, what? Why can't, why can't a company just buy your product, mark it up, and sell it at a higher price? Why would yeah, I pay you, for that as a consumer? I could just buy the cheaper version. You could buy the cheaper version, but I'll buy all, like the other competitor will buy all of it. Like you won't have the option. You'll buy, you just take, you, you'll take all the stock of what they have at the very, very low price that's below your price and then sell it on. I just and won't you, sell it to you. Well, I, yeah, I, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't say it's me. I like, I'll find a way to get a middleman, but I'll just buy a lot of it. It's, it's something that already happened. Just an example. All right. Stop. So you're being ridiculous. Reaching this is, super how, far. how about this? How about I give you a animated video to explain to you how, how, uh, monopolies watch work in free markets. Well, I mean, you can watch it later. It's not, but it's like people just have, there. people just have a lot of misconceptions. No. Hold on. People just have a lot of misconceptions yeah. about it. Chat. DMs, I may or may not watch it later. Sure. So basically, but basically, what was the? So, as far as I know, from everything you said, nothing here hurts the consumer. So you had a period of time where two companies were battling out on low prices, and you have another example, and and prices were low for the consumer either way. And then you have you can say the same thing for like China lowering steel prices, for example. Yeah. Obviously, the consumers benefit from low steel, artificially low steel prices, and um, so you're saying like uh, if companies like Apple, Google, or Facebook, if you start up something, then they'll buy you out. Technically, you know, good for the companies that that did it. I mean, Facebook and and Google offering services pre- for zero money, so it cannot necessarily be a monopoly based on price. Uh, Apple. I don't know. I mean, it's, there there are companies. That, the there are companies that they start sell up. to Apple. Yeah, yeah. There are companies that start up just to be bought by another companies. But when they do that, they are very aggressive to the company that bought them to take as much money away, as much money from them as possible. Uh, so, for yeah, example, how much, sorry. In these negotiations, in these in these negotiations leverage is anything is everything right like how much leverage does a, does a, does a tiny ass little company have when it comes to negotiating a buyout price well, when if they did if they agree to it the the bigger company will just go oh you don't agree to it all right well we'll just continue to smother you until you stop existing well apparently a huge amount of leverage because the following example that i'm going to give uh, basically do you know groupon do you know who groupon is yeah groupon so Groupon was in America, and there was a, a there was like two brothers that basically create uh, companies just to be bought. So they they succeeded with one company, and then they they tried to make a Groupon competitor in in Europe. So they were able to basically very quickly get something up and running. They pay they had artificially low prices to to get more uh, people in in Europe. I think it was around Germany specifically, and uh, it was. Pretty much like a blatant copy of of Groupon, changing the logos a little bit or the colors a little bit, but it was pretty much the same idea. And uh, when Groupon wanted to buy them, in a sense, when they're buying them, they're expanding into the European market. So uh, they asked for ten percent of the value of Groupon in shares, and they got it, which is huge. Okay. Well, as an example. Yeah, but this circles back to what I'm saying originally too, because it's like 
that that sort of practice, the the incentive structure and the dynamics within capitalism make that like a a financially productive activity to engage in. But is it actually productive in any meaningful sense? Are those people being productive? Are they are they are they are is that really the best use of their time just playing a game that ends with them cashing out for basically creating nothing? Like that's let, what I'm saying. Let let me guess. You want to centrally plan everything so it's the most productive possible, yeah, right? No. How would I want you be more productive? Go ahead. I want to I want to centrally plan some things, things that make sense to centrally plan, things where market incentives in my opinion cause more problems than they solve. Well, that's your opinion, but the fact that you're centrally planning stuff means that if you take if you take a look at any other example of central, central planning, it doesn't become more efficient at all. The the, the reasons yeah, for the reasons for, for right, so you can say you can say I want to centrally plan not for efficiency reasons but for public goods or public services but not for efficiency it's also more efficient it is but i don't know about you but my nhs is far from it it's it's way more efficient than my country's lack of a healthcare system even within my even within my country even within my country the to the extent that we do have limited socialized medicine like in our medicare sister uh, system if you're familiar it's for people over 65 mm-hmm. um all the statistics on this shows that like when you it depends on how you if we're defining efficiency as in the amount of money you put into something versus the like basically the uh the financial measurement of the output of that function mm-hmm. medicare is is more efficient in this country than private insurance by a factor of like 20% like 80 over 80% of all of the funding that goes into medicare in this country goes towards actual care and it makes sense as to why because you're cutting out the entire overhead and profit margin for for a privately owned firm which is why private insurance is in this company the statistic is like abysmal it's like 60% compared right, to like 80 think- something Sorry, did you finish? I, I didn't. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think you're you're wrong on that. So, um, we'll pull the, it I'll I'll explain. So the the you amount don't have, of money you don't have to explain because we can just look. Yeah. Okay. If you want. Because I don't. But this these statistics are publicly available. Like I'm more interested in what they actually are versus like you explaining them. So Medicare I... efficiency. Versus private uh, insurance. How are you defining efficiency? I already defined as efficiency. So, in efficiency in a healthcare setting would be the amount of of money that goes into the system. How much of that is actually goes towards paying for the actual healthcare services? Okay, so let me ask a, a point here. I believe the U.S. is paying seventeen thousand dollar. Uh, or seven, I don't know if it's 70% of GDP or $17,000 per something was the UK is 9000 So obviously you're paying a lot more. You could say that the um, elderly are receiving more care, but is it... is Are you overdoing it? Are you overspending in a sense? Because obviously you are spending more than other countries by a lot. We're spending more because it's privatized, because we're spending for the profit margins of the insurance companies that stand as a middleman between us and health, actual healthcare facilities. Right, but the the healthcare, the private healthcare isn't as generous as 
the the public side. The public side is like I don't know, sixty five percent of all um, all healthcare spending is is from the government, and it's already very high. And I'm I am aware that on the on the private side, it's more efficient, or at least the numbers aren't aren't anyone near as high as the spend on the public public one. So I'm looking for more. I'm looking for more. Um current data but in in um in 2009 at least the per capita cost of of medicaid uh, mm-hmm. I, this is even what i was talking about this is medicaid which is less efficient than medicare as far as i'm as far as i know um is 22 percent less per capita than the equivalent private insurance which makes perfect sense because you're paying you it's it's out it's operated at cost and also medicare and medicaid can negotiate with private institute like healthcare right, so, facilities prices so i don't agree i i do have also a child that i'm looking for now i don't know where i put it but i don't agree with what you're saying and, and explain why it's not true that it's obvious the the private sector while has uh you know it's regulations or, or like different like more complicated ways of um accepting payment for certain things from the hospital it does have an incentive at least to cut the costs of how on on their end of how those are processed so we'll have like more, more automation more of these like uh, in administrative innovations whereas the government would not and and I, I i am aware that there's some sort of faulty calculation where you say specifically on the administrative side where you say oh look the administrative in administrative side costs like 12% but in in the public side it's like 3 to 6% but when you look at the overall spend at the, at the total spend it's 3 to 6% of 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 a number that's three times higher than the private one okay this is so this is a study from the 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 Henry J Kaiser Family Foundation and they found that um private one point number one: Private insurers paid nearly double Medicare rates for all hospital servers uh, services. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, I just said that. I just I, I literally said twelve twelve percent to six percent. Just said that. No one, no double. Yeah, this is saying twelve percent is double or six percent. Oh, that's what you're saying. Okay, but like, I mean, your explanation for that doesn't make any sense. No, I'm, I have the chart. I've seen the chart. I'm just trying to find it. I really don't know where I put it though. Also, and 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 so there's paying for like profit margin and overhead, but then also private insurance. It's a it's a totally perverse incentive. Like, okay, a couple things. First of all, it's a perverse incentive because insurance companies have a a a profit incentive to to take in as much money as possible from um, the beneficiaries via. Uh, premiums, deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance, all of that, they have incentive to take in as much of that as possible and dish out as little as possible. So you're setting up a healthcare system where the people in charge of providing the healthcare have a, a profit incentive to deny healthcare. Yeah, I, Second I, I'm, of not, all, I'm not going to... I don't really... I'm not going to justify the um, American healthcare system. I don't consider it a free market and, and the main... Um, statistic I I use for that is because only ten percent of the people in in the U.S. pay out of pocket, and I would consider that to be the, the measure of free market. I mean, it's really easy to say that something is not is is, is not a, a 
aim. Well, I, I, I can give a, a better system, which is 60% out of pocket, then I would refer, reference that. You think that... I don't, I don't, I don't think... I look, I, I, let, I don't think... $60 out of pocket? Are you insane? No, that's, that's what they do. The, the healthcare system there, it's cheap. It's much, much cheaper. And they pay 60%, 60% of all healthcare treatments are paid for out of pocket in that, in that country. Which country? Singapore. Yeah, because everybody's fucking rich in Singapore. Okay. It's a financial titan, like on the global stage. Yeah. Well, re- most countries, mo- more recently, real countries, yeah. more co- most countries that are actually real countries with real economies <laughs> aren't like that. Singapore yes. is extremely rich. Oh, okay. So let's get rich like Singapore. Singapore is rich because they've stuck themselves into the, into the cog, like financially, and they're extracting wealth from the rest of the world's economy. The U.S. has Singapore a lot of financial markets. Singapore provides nothing. What does Singapore produce? They produce shit. They don't produce anything. It's a banking Sing- country. It, it was, it's not a banking country. It wasn't always a banking country. And, and right now they're making moves to be more in the high tech. Um, Singapore is a, is a much nicer country than you are letting on. I mean, look, the, I don't agree with how the, sure the, nice, I don't agree with how the government... It's, 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 I'm sure it's nice, but it's rich for a reason. And the main region reason is that it's, it's, it's economy based off of finance. I don't think that's true. I don't think that it's economy. I think now it has more finance than it did in the past, but it used to be trade because it was like a shipping route, uh, like a trade route for ships in, in that region. And, um, back in the day, they were dirt, dirt poor when, when the, when the British left them, they were very, very poor. They wanted to join with Malaysia. And then Malaysia rejected them, and the guy, though I forget his name, made certain like changes. Some of them a little bit authoritarian, some of them a little bit market based, some not so much. And over time, they made them very rich. Similarly, Hong Kong, fishing village, no natural resources. Very, very I mean, obviously, since 2019, they've been clamped down. <laughs> no. a, they've been clamped down a bit. No, more, Hong but- Kong is rich because it's China's exclusive <clears throat> economic zone. It, it it's it, it it thrives off of China's economy. But China has several economic zones. Yeah, it's uh, was it Hong Kong? Um, was it Macau? And uh, what's no, the other Macau, one? I don't, I don't... Macau is a Portuguese. Well, it's a, it's a former Portuguese colony. But uh, you had uh, Shanghai. You had four economic zones basically in seventy nine or or the nineteen eighties when when you hear. Um, when you hear what China opened up to the West, this is what the, what they mean. But Hong Kong, in and of itself, was was a fishing village. They didn't have any natural resources, and then from that, they've got skyscrapers everywhere. They did very well, and a lot of it is to do with free market. Free market. It's, a, it's a financial it's, haven for it's the a, it's Hong a Kong produced thing. Look, you keep saying that, but I don't think you fully understand what it is that you you're, you mean. It's like they have some finance sector now, sure. They do other things as well. What what is what and, is and it's, Hong and Kong? It, and it's and it's not like right the US. Now. And it's not. What do they do? Let's find out. Yeah, I'm looking at their. I'm looking at their their breakdown. Okay. What would you like? Highest exports. Well, no, I mean, like, because that's. I mean, I'm sure part of, most of their economy is not even based on exports. So, the like, if you tell me what the are, are gold. Integrated circus, gas turbine, broadcasting equipment, and silver. So the biggest, so the the if I look at Hong Kong's 
Yeah, yeah, that's their exports. But how big does of 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 a part of their GDP do exports in general make up? I'm guessing very little. Well, right? I mean, if, so, if, you, if you want the finance industry in general, then the UK is also a lot of that is finance. Yeah, well, I don't consider finance to be like actual production. Right. Okay. I don't know. I don't know where it is where we're going right now. But in 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 either any any which way, like if you're saying a country is rich, I'm I'm all for everyone getting rich, especially the poor. Like let's make everyone rich together, uh, and let let's get like really affordable uh, healthcare services that don't cost an arm and a leg like they do in the U.S. and that everyone has access to them. Yeah. Well, if I if I look if I look, take a, a survey of the world and I look at the healthcare systems, mm-hmm. um. In, in in developed nations that are the most efficient in the metrics that I laid out, they're all socialized. What do you mean? I'm not I'm not following you. They're not market based systems. Market based systems for healthcare don't make sense. Like so, this is my problem when I talk to respectfully when I talk to people like you is that it seems like people you presuppose. Like me? Like you, <laughs> I'm offended. Go on. Yeah, people like people people like you. I said with all like. With all due respect, I don't have anything against you personally. Okay. But when I talk to people like you, it's almost like you presupposed market economics as like the supreme ideology and everything has to be run in a market setting. And I just think that's asinine. Like obviously some things lend themselves more naturally to markets, some things don't. And it all depends on the nature of the thing. And I think healthcare for one is something that very obviously does not work well in a market setting. Okay. Let me send something to you. In and chat. one of the reasons is that is that healthcare is 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 in large part, especially except for like elective procedures, healthcare is an is an is inelastic demand. Right. Market forces break down. It doesn't matter how much something costs as a consumer. You're not going to make an, an an informed decision to undergo life saving treatment. You're going to pay whatever it takes. Which is why market forces just break down as a concept. Okay, let let can you please click on the link I, I gave you? Put some graphs in there for you. With me? Those graph? Yeah. So this is like I don't know if you've seen this graph before. It's it's also in other places. But you see like that basically there's like a division of the top the top services that over time just seem to keep increasing in cost are med- this is uh-huh. US. Our, our medicine, and then you have education, uh, housing, and I think infl- I think inflation is around the same line as food and beverages. Like it should be, like food and beverages and inflation should be the same this, uh, over time. And everything under that like gets cheaper over time. Things that are less labor-intensive and, and have less government intervention, subsidies, and things of that nature, whereas the top ones do. So here's why I think, with regards to healthcare, that just based on that, um, it just gets more and more expensive over time, like like in the UK. Uh, when we're right now paying 12% of our GDP to keep the NHS running, and we're doing a, the NHS is, is, is getting worse and worse over time uh, in terms of a lot of metrics in in the sense that uh, how long it is to get an ambulance if it's not like the highest criteria, if it's the second highest, how long to get an ambulance, how long to get your uh, test result from. Cancer is very, very bad in the UK. If you have cancer, you may want to go outside the UK for treatment. Um, operations can be cancelled at a moment's notice because it's, it's all free. 
Um, but free doesn't mean it's not rationed in a particular way. That's that someone makes a decision on that. And in terms of like rationing as well, like you, you can probably get like average medicine for a lot of people. You, you could buy that in bulk. But the more, um, the sicker people that need more advanced medicine or newer medicine or expensive medicine, those will be much, much less available under the system. Um, and it's only going to grow over time. If you look at charts below. Everybody does rationing. We do rationing for healthcare in the United States. The difference yeah, I'm, is that we I'm, do I'm rationing the, the, based off. We do rationing based off of the the patient's ability to pay, not rationing based off of essential need. Oh, okay, but do you still have rationing in either system? Like it I, rather be like yeah, a, but a, I would a, rather ration based off of who needs the healthcare most. No, that's versus it, who can pay for it. That's not how it works. There will be like a committee that decides who gets the the stuff and who doesn't. In fact, yeah, probably if, based if off know, of a reasoned assessment of the facts to determine who like needs it the most immediately. In fact, if you know some people, you can probably get ahead of the line if you know someone on the committee. Uh, if you scroll down to the uh, other, other graph. No, let's look at this real quick. So this graph, right? You had one interpretation. My interpretation of this Which is that... Which one are looking at? Sorry? Which you one? Link another one? You only linked one. There's several in this page. Oh, I was just looking at the thumbnail. Okay. So oh. the first one. Okay, cost inflation in labor intensity. Which is what I was looking at. Yeah. Yep. So you're saying this is from the US, first of all, right? Yes. Okay. So I don't know what I don't know why this is called uh self dis cost disease socialism, because as an American, I'll tell you that these hospital-related services, college tuition, tuition, other schools' fees, medical care, all of these in housing, all mm -hmm. of these in the United States are private. So I don't know where socialism comes in because they're all private. Um, Can I and second answer of your all, question? And no, I'm not done yet. So like second of all, all the other ones that aren't um, experiencing this, this same rate of increase, it's probably mm -hmm. because the ones that are increasing the, the, the most are the ones that are the most essential, the ones that people can't live without i mean you can live without going to college but it sort of affects your ability to actually have like a good job nowadays where you uh, achieve high degree of material conditions so like it doesn't surprise me that toys and apparel and shit like that are going down because if like those are harder to afford then people just won't buy them but people aren't going to not get health care because it's because it's 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 not as easy to afford and we don't want them to because then the the, so the social consequences of people not getting health care are are terrible Right, that's really cute how you just made that up on the spot, but let me explain what cost disease socialism is. So there's a whole theory around it. The what is this page? Is this just like your crackpot theory page? So then I'll send you I'll at? send you proper links with proper reports if you like. So the the Niskanen Center is a uh, is basically the one that came up with the, the term cost disease socialism. Uh the short definition of cost disease socialism is when the government uh, policy restricts supply and subsidized demand for human capital intensive industries, causing prices to rise dramatically over time. So basically, in industries that are labor intensive, the government intervenes because there are a lot of people there and for political reasons it starts to intervene. Because people want um, more healthcare, let's say, the government subsidizes this to some degree, so uh, it's less price sensitive, the, the market mechanism stops functioning, and then at the same time it restricts the supply of those same things. So think 
certificate of need, restricting of, of doctors because of the, I don't know, some, some AMA something. They restrict the number of doctors every year, so doctors will have a good salary. Uh, so you, you restrict supply, you subsidize demand, and then you get this result of cost disease social. Cost disease itself is a, is a concept by uh, someone called Bommel, where he said basically the price of, of wages uh, goes up in an economy even if there's no um, innovation in a particular industry. So let's say, uh, I don't know, you collect garbage bins and it, it, it hasn't improved it. It's, uh, there hasn't been any improvement in, in garbage collection in, in decades, but in every other place in the economy, there has been improvements in, in productivity and innovation, and they're offering more wages. So the, the garbage collectors are competing for wages with all other parts of the economy, and therefore their wages will go up even though they haven't become more innovative. Uh, so that's the idea. But it, it's kind of the, the cost disease of Bowman has kind of been like somewhat debunked. But this new concept, cost disease socialism, as, as I'm describing here, is a new concept that a lot of economists, as far as I know, even on the left, this is Niskanen is left, center of left, uh, agree with. I mean, yeah, but it's, I don't know why it's called cost disease socialism when all of these things are privatized. Like, right, but the government, if they, heavily, if they, if they, government heavily intervenes in these industries. It heavily intervenes in, in, in the medical sector. It, it, it no longer functions effectively as a, as a market uh environment if 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 it's subsidized for example there's less pressure to reduce prices if the government says no, i'm going to pay i'm going to pay for a pill based, it, yeah it, based off of your description it sounds to me like the government is trying to subsidize the demand side of the equation and then yeah. the privately owned supply side of the equation is reacting to that by trying to restrict supply in order to maintain profits <clears> and the result is that the, the is that the unit cost um uh, experienced by the consumer increases over time, which to me sounds like a problem that's caused on the supply side. Well, you didn't listen to the certificate of. I need. did listen. I did listen to 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 everything you said, and that's the takeaway that I have. That this is what, a problem what is that's, being, of need, that's being caused on the supply. My takeaway is that the, this that this is a problem being caused on the supply side, based off of a reaction of the private sector to the government's attempt to, to subsidize the demand side. When, you, when the government is restricting supply artificially, what does that not increase the price? How is the government restricting the supply artificially? Okay, what is the certificate of need in the healthcare sector? Certificate of need? I don't yes. know what the certificate of need is. Explain okay, if, if you want, if you want to, to set up shop as, let's say, a hospital or like a doctor, you want to set up an office in a particular town, you need to get a certificate of need, meaning your competitors in the area need to tell the government if another hospital or another doctor is needed. If they say, or, or ambulance service, if they say it's not needed, you can't start a, a hospital or a, a new doctor's office. Yeah, that's that's the reaction on, this, on the privately owned supply side of the equation in, but in response it, to... What is, what is private if the government doesn't let you start your own office? I don't understand. The, the government is saying, no, you can't. Your competitors are saying you can't start your business through the government. Well, how is that private? I don't understand. Because I'm sure that there's an incentive on the existing competitor side to say that so that they don't have competition so that they continue uh, of course, to but charge the high prices. Of course, but the government is the one that's allowing them to, is the one that's enabling them to do that. In, in what 
in what market can a competitor say you cannot enter i don't give you permission um i don't know there's probably a lot of them oh my god like really 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 heavily um like regulated industries i'm sure there's a lot of other examples of that mm-hmm. okay anyway well, i'm so sure do, that you, do you know, say that like know, regulation another... is the problem well certificate certificate of need in this example is a problem do you know do you know the statistic that says that uh, black women who give birth have a slightly higher chance of dying than white women um i familiar no, with this but, no but it doesn't surprise me right so do you think this is to do with racism um not does like sound, does it sound like racism, it but I don't. I don't know. You're probably trying to trap me into saying something. So why don't you tell me what the actual reason? Well, I'm is? not 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 necessarily because I'm going to explain it anyway. Um, so basically, the problem is that with certificates of, of need, they don't allow what is the doctor for women or OB, OBYN, OBGN, something. The 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 prenatal care. Um, they don't. They don't. The certificate of need don't allow new. Business, new like hospitals of those or new businesses of those to open up in in areas where it's like a higher black population. So there's like de- prenatal deserts in a sense, in the same way that there's like um, food deserts where you can't get fresh food in particular areas. There's like prenatal des- deserts where black women can't find this particular uh, services, so they don't know certain things, they don't get certain care, they don't get certain advice, and as a result, it affects their uh, survivability during both. Okay, what do you think the solution to that is? Remove certificate of need. Remove the I mean, I'm looking at, because I didn't know about certificate of need. I'm looking at it. It seems to be a state-by-state thing. Like, not mm-hmm. all states in the U.S. have that law. Um, and the concept of certificate of need in the field of healthcare first passed in New York in 1964. I'm trying to learn about it because I don't really know about this. So, um, when you're done, can you go back to the page? I want to show you some NHS related statistics. I mean, I'm 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 assuming you're probably going to show me a bunch of statistics showing like bad just, things just about the NHS. It will only take like, a minute. It will only take a minute. So in the same page, I think it's the last graph. It says expenditure of national health service. In the United Kingdom. With uh, me? Government health expenditure. Yeah, okay. So it started off under 4% of GDP was going to the NHS for a, a while, right? The 1990s, not that much of an increase. And then even at this one, this is 2012, it's, it's I don't know, 9% here, it's 12% now. And we again, back to the economic growth point, we're not growing enough to, to fund this. This keeps going up, keeps increasing over price. And you've seen it, if you go back to the top, you can see it's also increasing over price. It's a global problem. And if you go to the middle graph, you can see all, all countries, Germany, France, United Kingdom, Sweden, they all pay more uh, health expenditure as part of GDP. Now you could say, maybe we've got more innovations, maybe the population is getting older. And it could be because these the things are getting thing, more expensive right? over time because of certain 
the way that the government offers these services and, and how it's how it's uh, outside the market and increasing it. Actually, I think I have, I don't have it here. I well, think I'd I have be, the, uh, the I'd Singapore. Be interested, if I'd be I interested just, to see how much of this is like correlates with the aging of the baby boomers. Great. So I, I do have one for Singapore and this, I, I actually don't have it here, but if I did have it here, because I've seen it before, it barely, it's barely gone up in the whole, it's like a, a relatively flat line. I should actually find it. I'm pretty sure they have, have a, they have a baby boom like the like the West. They sure. I mean, they. It's not like they died because of. I don't. I'm not aware of like the a population war pyramid. I'm not aware of a war that killed a particular generation off before another one. So I'm gonna say yes. Like no, it seems that's like a dishonest. You know what I mean by population pyramid? I'm not actually. I'm not sure. I am. Population pyramid of of Singapore. Right, so this is a, a very helpful um, uh, histogram that can be used to visualize the the generational drift of um, that's a term I just made up, but okay. it like you can you can visualize the um, the demographic the demographics of of a, of a population by generation, and you can see how that how that stratifies. And if I look at Singapore. Um, mm -hmm population pyramid and then i look at let's say the u.s u.s population pyramid um there let me see okay the upside down pyramid so this is on, right i don't I, I don't with regards to the health in singapore Health expenditure as percent of GDP. I don't have uh, as far back as 1950, but 2000, it was 3.34 percent. 2019, it's 4.0. So, you know, compared to the spike you saw in in the UK, relatively flat, like 3.5 to 4.8, 4.0, right? So yeah. Okay. And unless so, unless you're telling me but, like some kind of magic, I I don't know. I don't think they'll have some kind of deep. Uh, change in population that you're making this claim, but I'm happy to be told. Well, well I don't, I wasn't making a claim. I was just wondering what that, like what the correlation was, if there was any. I don't the correlation is, is, not, is this cost disease socialism is what I'm trying to say. This is a, a, this is a phenomenon that you can read about in the links. Yeah. But the thing is, so, okay. So these, these, the, this data shows that there is a, there's an increase in mm. You have this our world and data thing, and you have this one specifically for the NHS in the UK. Mm -hmm. These these bottom two graphs, mm -hmm. these are showing that healthcare spending as a percentage of GDP has increased dramatically from 1960. But the thing is that I don't necessarily care about that on its own. I want to know what how that relates to improvements in healthcare outcome metrics. Yeah, I mean that's that's right because if you, we're spending you say, more yeah, and I'm we're fine. getting better results, then it's worth it. I'm fine. I'm fine with that assessment. That let's let's put it this way, right? If you, if you go back to the first graph, you, you can say the same thing for like televisions and vehicles and and toys and, and household furniture or whatnot. Like they also get better over time. They also get more innovation and and more features and functionality that people want. And like you know, I I can accept that. You know, we we've knocked out all the main diseases now. We're going for like the really extreme ones and those cost more sure I, you can throw that in there as well but like you you don't have the mechanism of reducing price like things 
like like in a regular free market, things cost less over time because of innovation and productivity, and the value goes up. Whereas things that the government like has a, a firm grip on cost more over time, and the value either stays the same or goes down. So, for example, in healthcare, I don't think you can say that from I don't know ninety eight to two thousand twenty one that tuition has gone gone up by three hundred percent. I don't think you can say that it's three hundred percent better the the actual service. I mean, no, not not in the United States, but you have to remember that we don't like our our um I mean we have publicly owned universities, but they're all operated um well we have private universities too. Um, I think even the private one a, gets paid. The, the reason the reason the reason why um university tuition in the United States has gone up so dramatically is very complicated i don't know if i want to get into that right now but i don't think it's i don't think it's as simple as what you're saying is it because of high, a lot a, lo- of, a lot of administra- the need for more administration uh i think that's part of it i think also that another thing in the united states as well is that a, a big um factor in universities are um Basically, like the aesthetics and the uh, allure of uh, big fancy facilities and giant sports teams and stuff like that. All of these require funding. These drive like the price of tuition as well. Right. But- um, the price of tuition is 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 being funneled into a lot of um, like research and stuff. There's grant money that goes into that too, but that's a factor. Like, there's a lot of factors the, into why the facility one that you just you just mentioned. That's that's a that's a an example that it's not a market mechanism because it, it is a market it, mechanism it, because you're, you're I, investing in, you're I'll investing explain. in fancier facilities. You're it's, it is a market mechanism. Let me explain. You're investing, you're it, investing into fancier facilities I to understand. attract more students who are the consumers in this scenario. I understand, but you could also attract more, more students by reducing price, right? I mean, yeah, but, but that's, that's, that's but, like but, the model of, that's but, the model of a community college and those are good, but uh, no, let me generally like, let, let me explain. No, I'm not, I'm not an expert in the U S but as far as I understood is that the, because students get a student loan or, or more or less the amount of money that they pay is, is somewhat fixed. Like they'll get it, they'll get it like a, this amount of money anyway. I'm not sure how, but uh, that's my understanding that that part is not part of the market. There's no, you're not competing for a lower price because the the how they pay for the tuition is somewhat fixed. So what they do on the offside is because if that amount of money is fixed to attract students, they'll pay for larger facilities because then they'll get this fixed amount instead of that fixed tuition cost going to another university that goes to yours because you have a jacuzzi and the other university does not. Okay. Well, I mean, this is an interesting thing. I I went and and searched this real quick. Okay. And when we're talking about the raising rates of tuition in the United States, mm-hmm. it's generally all gone up. But um, something interesting though is I I don't know if you're familiar with universities in the United States. We have public institutions and we have private institutions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the public institutions are not free. They're generally cheaper than the private institutions. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is if you look at 1975 until today, um, and you look at the how much um, tuition has increased in cost, public institutions have increased on average. This is for uh, full-time, four-year undergrad tuition fees, room and board. Um, mm-hmm. Public institutions have increased by about um, 
what is this, $11,000. Um, and private institutions have increased by $26,000. Okay. So the private in, uh, tuition has increased uh, twice as much as the public has. And I think that makes sense because like they're operating with a profit motive. They're trying to extract as much money out of the students as possible. Dude, you really, and you, it, really even, you really need to stop that. You really need to stop this sort of like conspiratorial thinking. I've just shown you in several graphs that these things wait, I've just hold let on. me just it's just conspiratorial a second. thinking to yeah, suggest you're that thinking, private institutions have a profit motive? Yeah, you're thinking is the the profit motive in and of itself is not a negative thing. We all Every time you do a trade with someone else, you're doing the profit motive. What, what, is, what is profit? Profit is other people's money sitting in their pocket, and you need to persuade them that you have a, a, a product or service that's valuable for them to part with their money. That is, that is how you get profit from other people. So it's not like profit is no, evil. They just want to maximize profits, like some kind of accounting no. guy with monopoly monoc and a monocle in his eye, kind of like smoking a cigar and calculating... I'm telling you, these are things outside the market mechanism. If they did have market mechanism, then they would compete on price. Someone at least would. No, this is... You, why would, they, you not, why would is, they not compete what, on what price? You, what you describe... First of all, nobody wants... No, no private institution wants to compete on price. They want to do that as little as possible. Okay, let me, let, me, let me offer a difference. No, why doesn't, no, but second of all, what you described is not profit. What you described is revenue. Revenue is not the same as profit. When you, you when you convince somebody when you convince somebody that the service that oh, they they want from you is yeah. worth the money they have in their pocket, and that service that you give to them is worth the money that they have in their pocket, that's revenue. And if the exchange is equitable, the profit evens out to be zero. Profit is what happens when when you leverage disparate power in order to facilitate an unequal exchange. So no, that I don't, you get I don't know what from you're them talking about. And they get from you. I don't know what you're talking about at all. This no, is not profit a... by definition is when the is when the producer or the the seller gets yeah. more out of the exchange than the consumer does. No, that's that's ridiculous. Yes. What is no, the trade? That's what, profit what is a trade? Is. What is a trade? No, that's not true. What is a trade? Trade is I give something and you give me something back. It's a mutually beneficial exchange, right? Both well, of you us benefit. When you define it that way, then I guess it is. It, are you kidding? Hold on. You don't think that unequal exchange occurs in trade? You don't think that if, if I have power over you in the exchange, then I can use that power to get more out of the exchange than you do? You're saying that I can, I can, someone can charge more money, right? And they can get more out of it than the other person, but both people get something out of it. Otherwise, there's no point to the trade. If I trade with someone and I lose, there's no point to the trade. I'm not forced to take the trade. All right, let's say that you and I are stranded on an island and I have a loaf of bread. Oh my God. And, and, and I, well, let, well, let's say I'm trying to sell you a loaf of bread. I'm charging, yep. I'm charging $500 for it. Will you buy my loaf of bread? No. No, but let's say that we were on, we were stranded on an island. There was no other food source, and you were starving. All you had in your pocket was five hundred dollars. And I said, "I'll sell you bread for five hundred dollars." Would you buy it for me then? This is I, I don't yeah. want to. This is so. This, this is so. Okay. And what what is the connection? What is the connection to your example to day to day trading? The connection. Am, am I living on an island? Is, am I living on an island now? 
No, the example is a reductio ad absurdum to demonstrate that profit is what happens when there is disparate power levels that are brought to the, an exchange. Listen, listen, and listen, the person listen. with more power Hold leverages on. that power over Hold the on. other this person is, to this is get more out of the exchange than they give. Dude, stop for a second. This is complete bullshit. This is conspiratorial Marxist bullshit. This is not how trade works on a basic level. You're saying someone has, there are, there are times when someone has more leverage over the other so, that, so they can get slightly more money out of it sure that can happen but that doesn't mean that that we it doesn't mean it's an unfair exchange in any sense of the world it simply does not because we're not moralizing to, it i'm not i'm not no moralizing no, no. i understand that's, how what you, profit, let, that's what profit that's what is no that's not what profit is at all that is not what profit is that is simply not true what you're saying it's 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 perverse and bizarre how you're describing it. No, it just it just betrays your ideology. So that's why you don't like you it. You have an ideology yourself that is making this claim. Are you kidding me right no. now? You're, you're if if when if, it comes if I want to buy a conversation, car. you are the most ideologically hardline person on this that I've I have some to. economic understanding of what I'm talking about. Doesn't mean I'm ideological and I'm giving you graphs and data to stuff that you're not familiar with, and I'm showing you trends and cons and, and concepts that that explain these things relatively clearly. So I don't know if that's ideological. No, I'm sorry. they don't. They explain the data that they give relatively clearly. But the conclusions you. that you're choosing to draw from them are not self-evident within the data. This is what it's, this is. So you, of, you made a Reddit. Look, you made a Reddit post where you were complaining about lefties who who didn't like your data, and now I see why. Because you're 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 given this data, <laughs> and the data is very clear, and what it's telling me on the face of it is very clear. But then you're nesting on top of this all of these conclusions that are just not. They, they they just don't follow. You're just making that up because it, it conforms to your ideological Se presuppositions. Dude, you just you just get you you saw my charts. You made up you made up something on the spot, which wasn't accurate. And you're saying that I'm ideological. In your opinion, Jesus Christ. You you basically guessed right. You you, you took a guess. You used your ideological lens and said this is could, this could be the reason, and it, it's not true to the conclusion of the people that made the graph and made the paper and explained it in detail what is cost bomb what is cost disease what is cost socialism here are some examples why is this accurate why is this why is this been debunked and and is no longer true you can read the whole paper i mean i'm just summarizing it for you but you're saying i'm ideological so you read it yourself and tell me what you think no it's not i didn't, that. I didn't invent so it on the spot though yes but the way that you're framing it is very deliberate, right? Read because the paper. You okay? Fine. Read the paper yourself. Uh, not now, obviously. Frame it whichever way you like, right? I don't care. Just read the paper. Let me read through your whole article. Let's let's just break it down. All right. Let's do it let's, later. Let's just do it later. Uh, you, but no, look, you're done. Back to profit. I want to talk about profit for a second. Back to profit. The idea. No, you were you, you were let, you let were making lots this. of claims. I wanna I wanna look back at this again because I'm saying you know, read maybe it at I was your own not time. fair. I'm saying read it at your own time because it's a long paper. Why don't you want me to read it now? The actual Niskanin paper is several pages long. Well, I'm just reading through your article, like the claims. Yeah, you can read the article. You, you go for it. You can read the but the actual the actual like report. That I'm referring to that's not skewed by myself, you can read that on your own time. 
Anyway. Alright, so... Okay. Cost disease, socialism happens a few parts. Restrict supply by subsidizing suppliers, heavily regulating them. So... So how do you... Right off the bat, how is how is subsidizing supply restricting supply? Isn't that like an oxymoron? The regulating is heavily regulating is restricting supply. Subsidizing, I know, I them, subsidizing them means that uh, they don't need to because of an ideological presupposition. So no, let me. You asked me a question. At least let me explain it. Heavily regulating them would restrict. Subsidizing them means they don't need to work too hard to lower the prices. What? If you if you give them if if let's say I sell eggs, and you're the government is saying, look, no matter how many eggs you sell, for each eggs that you that you sell, you're getting, I'll give you like an additional half a dollar. So an egg is a dollar. I'll give you additional half a dollar. Now my my profits are much higher. I don't need to work too hard to get a good profit because it's subsidized by the government. I'm already doing well. Yeah, I, I have seems, I have I have less of the like market. a market. That Sorry? seems like a problem with profit. That seems like a, a problem with profit incentive. Well, the government is is giving you money, so you you don't need to overproduce. Yeah, because your main goal is profit. So as long as your profits are being satisfied, you don't care that you are offering a, a lower quality service because you don't care. It's about nothing that. to do with quality. Nothing to do with nothing to do with the quality of the service at all. It's just the the number produced. Yeah, but what you're saying is like you're. Like it sounds to me, what's causing the problem in this scenario is the profit interest. You don't. You don't seem to look. I. You don't seem to understand what the profit motive is. So I don't know what to, what to, to discuss with you over. You you think the profit motive is when people take advantage of other people. I mean, yeah, that's like very moralized language, but essentially, yes, that's what profit is. Well, I disagree. I think that. You're basically saying you don't think that profit. Let, is let me let me explain. Let me explain people. how you can say me, that taking advantage of people is good. No, like you can say that that's I don't good, think, but that's what it is. It, I, it is an I, advantage. I disagree completely. And let me explain why this is profit's not advantageous. Let me explain what I want to say. So basically, capitalism is based on trade, mutual beneficial voluntary trade. If we don't, as as a core as a core part of it, this is the peace and. Pro you achieve peace and prosperity through this mechanism of the trader principle. If you're if you're saying that this very principle that capitalism is based on is is morally abhorrent, then the whole thing is gone. That's it. it there's no point to it. There's no point to markets. There's no point to to any to any of it. It's all morally abhorrent and should be abolished. I'm not moralizing anything. I'm just saying that that profit. No, like the basis of capitalism is not just to trade. You, you, it is. Companies don't. No, companies don't just trade for the joy of trading. They trade for profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, everyone trade for self-interest. I, I. So this is the point, really, in trade. So I want something for my own self-interest. You want something for your own self-interest. We have this mechanism of trade that when we engage in it, both of us are, are self-interested, and both of us benefit from this process of trade. Because we have this mechanism of trade, we have a harmony of interest. Because we both are self-interested, yet we, we cooperate and we compromise and we work together and we all benefit from this mechanism of trade. So while everyone is self-interested and working hard in their own little area of whatever it is they want to produce, 
Everyone in society benefits from this harmony of interest. If you're saying this is exploitative or taking advantage of, then the whole thing crashes down like a house of cards. It can be. Well, it's, I not, it's not necessarily exploitative, but it can be. But do you, un- do you understand? And, and do don't you un- act like, so like in capitalism didn't invent the concept of trade. Trade was around for thousands of years before capitalism. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things were thousands of years before capitalism, like property, like property rights, markets. A lot of things were for thousands of years. So, like, in trade, my, if, I'm a, if, if I'm a firm and I'm trading with you, mm-hmm. my incentive is, is um, I do better when the amount of the trade that I get, like the monetary value of, of what I get from you mm-hmm. is less or is more than the monetary value of what I give to you, right? And yep. I can use leverage in order to do that, right? And in a you sense, that's ex- leverage, right? Leverage, okay. If I have, if, if, in, in the context of the trade, if I'm coming to the table with more power than you do, then I can use that to leverage. I don't know what that means. I don't know what more power. I, I don't know what more power means. Like, as in, you need the thing from me more than I need the thing from you in return. Sure. Okay. Great. That, that, that would be leveraged. That, that is that is more power. In a sense, yeah, it's more power in that context. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, but but I still I still want that thing, right? You you want that thing and you need it more than I need the thing I'm asking from you. And I okay. can use that in order to get more out of the deal than you do. And that's what profit is. Hold on. Before you get to the leverage stage, what is profit? Okay, profit is you're engaged in, 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 an, in an economic activity. You have costs associated with that and you get not, revenue Not the accounting, that. hold on. When you not, take not, revenue minus cost, Not the accounting, profit. I don't need the accounting definition of profit. I, mean, I need the economic definition of profit. Is it different? It is different, yes. Profit is just, I mean, it's when you, it's when the, the revenue that you take in minus the cost is profit. I don't know what, what other definition. That's the accounting. Defi- okay. So let me, let me try again. Let's, let's take an example. Is let's it going to be super convoluted? Let me just Google not, it because not, I don't know. Why, I don't want to hear whatever definition you make up. I'm going to give an example, not a definition. It will be very, super simple for you to understand. Let's say I know I don't want an example. If there's a different definition, then I want to know the definition. Profit economics definition. Mm-hmm. The financial amount that remains after subtracting both explicit loss and opportunity cost from revenue. Not not the accounting definition. That's the economic definition from Investopedia. I know it's not whatever special definition you're trying to concoct, but that's the you said economic definition. There it is. Okay, where does profit come from? Profit comes from what do you mean? What I mean, like I, I'm a socialist, so I think all value comes from production. <laughs> okay, where does the money for the profit come from? Money for the profit, it comes from. You said revenue minus cost. It, you said revenue minus cost equals profit. Where does the money for the profit come comes from? So where does the revenue come from? Sure. Where does the revenue come from? It comes from. Consume like consumers, other, like the price they people? pay, and investors. Uh, investors is something else. Other people, basically, consumers. Yeah. Yes. So, in order to be profitable, you need to 
please or sell to consumers, right? They need, and they need, in turn, they need to agree to buy from you. They need, because they're not forced to buy from you. It's entirely voluntary. So they need to agree that what they're buying for, for you, from you is worth more to them than the money in their pocket, which they then happily hand over to you and you, you know, deduct your cost from and, and have, a, have a profit, right? It that's depends the, that's the how trade. much they... It depends because I can, I, I can think of lots of examples where I paid for something that I needed. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time of me paying it, I was like, this is not fucking worth the money I'm paying for it. Sure, maybe that, that, that could happen. But you made your decision and, you know, we don't have like a, a government thing that scoops your brain out, analyzes it and said, no, actually, you didn't need that. Put the brain back in and said, we know better for you. We make decisions. We, we have an expected utility of what it is that we buy and we do our best to understand what, what can make us happy, and then we go for it. Can we make wrong decisions? Sure. But the, the seller wanted you to be happy. I don't think the seller gives a I don't think the seller gives a shit of whether I'm happy or not. Of course they do, because they're they want happy. To, they're quite happy to fuck me over. No, they want makes, you to if come. It, if it adds their bottom bottom line. But it doesn't add to their bottom line to fuck you over. It does not in it any can, way. It can in some instances. It depends on how much I need what they're offering. Right, but if if they fuck you over, will you go there a second time? It depends. Sometimes there's not other options. Okay. You you're you're appealing to monopolies here, but let's say there aren't any restrictive monopoly on a particular product or you can find alternative products and that's in general yes you can always find alternative products or it's more expensive for you to switch to another supplier than it is to keep then yeah if you're getting if you're getting value from it right then then great but they do but it's more beneficial for them if you are a returning customer than if you just buy one time and get and get very upset and tell all your friends not to buy from them they would rather you be happy from it it's it's better for them I mean, it sounds really good when you when you paint oh. this picture of everybody getting along. And, this is so and, basic, and, though. This is just so basic. I don't I don't know where to go from here. This is just so fundamental. I mean, I guess this is what happens. You just don't understand how to deal with people who fundamentally disagree with your ideology. It's right, okay. but do do you appreciate? Do you, can you appreciate that I'm, I'm giving you the definition impartially as best I can, explaining to you like just just simple mechanisms. And you're like, no, it, it has to be class struggle somewhere in there. It has to be exploitation somewhere in there. It's never. I'm not saying it's always That's perfect, not even but, what ju- I'm but just saying. But just you're the mechanism. You're doing the of same it. thing. You're you're defining terms to erase any element of class struggle. Like you're framing it in a very deliberate. There isn't way. a class, but there isn't a class struggle here. We're talking about. It, it doesn't have to be like a a capitalist and and a consumer. This could be like a me and you trading. It can be many different examples. That's not the yeah, but. That's obviously not what I'm concerned with. But hold on, I'm not talking about concerns. I'm just talking about the general mechanism. The general mechanism is the general mechanism, but to suggest that it 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 plays out the exact same way regardless of scale and regards of circumstances is just naive. It's just naive. What is that to do with what I'm explaining though? When I, because you're saying like, oh, if, we, if it's just a trade between me and you, well, it's not. It's right, not but, just a trade between me and you. It's, okay, so it's what, a trade between, between, it's a trade between me and mm-hmm. giant, like, giant corporations. corporations. Oh my God, corporations. How about if you buy a sandwich? 
from a vendor. Is that a trade? Yeah, I'm not concerned with buying sandwiches from a vendor. It's not but what I care about. From a, a local a local kiosk or a local co-op. What, what if I food, buy a right? sandwich? What, what, what if I buy a, what, what if I buy a sandwich? What's the point? It's a trade. I'm explaining the mechanism. There's no. Yeah, just, I understand what a trade is. This is what this is like. What your tactic is is whenever I bring up a contention, you like act like I don't understand a basic concept, and then you like fucking spend like an hour homie, rambling. Homie, about slow, what, slow, what slow down with this. Slow down with the psychologizing. We're not we're not anywhere near that yet. I'm just trying to get to the basic pr principles. Then you can layer it as much as you like. Okay. Yeah, Let's I understand what trade is. If I great. if I hear an under, another a, explanation of what trade is, I'm just leaving. Oh dear. So where's so now you want to layer it with exploitation? Well, what are we talking about anymore? You're going to define trade for the tenth time, or are we going to talk about something real? Uh, trade is real, buddy. But yeah, I don't need to define it anymore. We've discussed it. I'm glad we agree. Yeah, trade is when somebody gives something to somebody and somebody gives fucking something else back. Everybody understands what trade is. What is harmony of interest? What? How, what is harmony of interest? I explained it. Harmony of interest? Yes. It's when I give you something that fulfills your interest, you give me something that fulfills my interest. No, it's slightly different. It's We're both pursuing our own self-interest. Is the slightly different warrant an explanation? Yes, it's super important because it, it basically means Is it is it really important? Yes. I don't because you haven't talked about something important for the last 20 minutes. No, trust me, it's it's deeply philosophically important. It's a system, I don't care about what I I really don't care about deeply philosophical. Right, so you keep saying that it's it's harmful for society, right? And it's not the right thing and we need to involve the government, right? I'm I'm giving you a mechanism that should that explains at least the mechanism that we can be self-interested and be beneficial to society at the same time. Yeah, we can. Great. Great. Okay, continue. Continue with what? You just whatever you like. Whole... So are you know. a capitalist now? Are you a capitalist now? No. no. Did okay. Have I been bad faith? Uh, maybe a couple times, but not like super. I wouldn't say you're bad faith. No. Great. I'll I'll take that as a as a victory in a sense. What was no, the complaint? Okay. So I got a little bit frustrated at certain points. I apologize for that. Um, but but like it's just you're explaining things to me, and like everything is like I follow all the explanations up to like ninety percent, and then like the way that you 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 the way that you go about framing the conclusion is just like no, I don't agree. But you, but then you act like I don't understand what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. It's just like that you're explaining like this cost disease socialism thing mm -hmm. and how like intervention on the supply side of the equation is, is, is causing um, suppliers to act in a specific way according to their profit motive. And then you're like, oh, the problem there is the government intervention. And then I say, I think the government, the problem right there is actually the fact that there is a profit motive for this thing. Okay, and let me. We just have like a fundamental disagreement at that point. Like, okay, let's say who is correct. Let me help. Let me help here. Just like uh, give like an overarching uh, theme, let's say. So I'm already what I'm claiming. So I, I'm claiming that if something was left to its, if the markets were left to their own devices, if we didn't have 
government intervention in the form of subsidies, taxes, regulations, like a minimal, let's say, because you, you always have some, as minimal as possible, and that is, it's not a labor-intensive industry, then all, then over, so for example, let's say with cars or toys, you'll have like machines that automate it, you need, it's less labor-intensive, then over time, these things would, would reduce in price and increase in value, as in just, 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 this is what the market basically would do. And um, when the, with this cost disease, cost disease socialism specifically, the way it's set up is that it takes away market mechanisms from the equation. So for example, if you say we need healthcare, uh, despite, um, if, if we need healthcare, no matter what the price, we, it's, it's moral that people have access to, to healthcare, no matter if they can afford it or not. And we kind of leave market mechanisms, we, we exit market mechanisms. And if, for example, the government regulates something, then we exit market mechanism. And if it subsidizes something a bit more than we, we slightly move away from market mechanism. And as a result of moving away from market mechanism, the costs go up over time. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but you're saying the cost goes up because like, the government is, is subsidizing the supply side. Um, the government intervention exits the market mechanism, yes. So the government is supply is is subsidizing the supply side. Um, it's doing a lot of things. And that what? The government here is doing a lot of things on, on more than one side. And as a and as a result, the market mechanisms are not there and it just gets more expensive over time. Okay. Why does it get more expensive over time? So let's let's look at it like this: for something to get, let's say, for something to get cheaper over time, you need like competition, you need innovation, you need uh, productivity improvements, uh, maybe let's say automation and things of that nature. You, you have all those things, then something will b get cheaper over time, and, oh, and value will go up. So like, let's say a car stays the same price, but it has more features, or a car. If after it has more features, then they find a, a better way of uh, manufacturing, and it's cost less, and now it's it's more cheaper because your competitor has done something similar, and you need to lower your prices. When you don't have any, when you don't have those things, let's say with healthcare, the, the government comes and says, "I'm going to pay five hundred dollars for this pill now, and in five years from now, like I, I promise to do that. I I will pay five hundred dollars now and." And in, in the future, there's no incentive to reduce the price. There's no point in allocating company resources to reduce the price of this pill. There's no competition. And there's no need to because you'll get constant money. So you'll do other things with your resources. Yeah, see, this is what I'm talking about. Because at that point, I go, what I say is, aha, this this sort of half measure to step in and, and try to like regulate this industry by the government, it's not sufficient. because because of the fact that we've retained a profit motive, you can do all the, like the, the fine tuning and, and uh, adjustment and intervention that you want, but mm -hmm. the company is just going to take advantage of it, use that to, uh, to inflate their profits and like, uh, uh, make like offload, you know, and, and jack up prices on the, on the consumer. Um, and not the like the actual goal that the government was going for there is not achieved because the uh the actual supplier is not interested 
and collaborating with the government to achieve that goal. They're, they're only interested in increasing profits. So my solution to that is, oh, like what, what needs to happen actually for this industry is it just needs to be nationalized and removed okay, the great. profit motive entirely. Great. We, in, the U- in the UK, we have an entirely nationalized health. It's literally called the National Health Service. Fully nationalized. Maybe some parts, you know, they'll, they'll outsource some parts uh, to, to like private people here and there. But overall, pretty much overwhelmingly, it is fully nationalized. Government pays for everything, certainly, for, of taxes, obviously. Uh, pays doctors, pays nurses, pays for medicine. Uh, typically, like it, it gets it from America, but it can also get it from other places and, and in the UK. But fully national health service, and the price is still going up by a lot. Yeah, but it's still way, way, way cheaper per capita than the United States is. I mean, I'm looking at like um, our world and data, mm-hmm. um, life expectancy, like our, uh, what is this, uh, healthcare costs um, per, uh, as a percent of GDP and per capita. And uh, like, so I'm not, United I'm States not sure. is far and away, United States is far and away the most expensive. All these other developed nations are way, way cheaper. And what's the, what is the, uh, what is the factor that's different here? The factor is that the United States system is way more privatized and all these other uh, countries have way more socialized system that like, to me, that tells me like what the right direction to go in. It's not to privatize it more. It's to privatize it less. Okay. Well, Singapore is even cheaper than all half, even the price of all the other European countries. It's much, much more private, considerably more private. I would say six times more private. And it's very good quality of service, very good products, very good uh, what they deliver to the population, very accessible in terms of price. And um, life, lifespan is good. Singapore, you keep narrowing on, on Singapore because there is no other example. You can't find another example where this is the case. Singapore is the only example. And Singapore has a very unique economy, very unique like development and all that stuff. Like It's not comparable to the rest of these Western developed nations. Why can't I use Singapore as an example? I don't understand. You're not giving me a good reason. Can but it's like it's kind of telling that that's the only example you can point to, right? Like every okay, other I, look, I can like, I can also give I can also give system in the world is socialized. I can also give the U.S. as an example, but I will have to do it over time. So I'll have to give like what was how much out of pocket spend did people in in the U.S. pay in 1960? So it's forty one percent, forty seven point one percent of all healthcare in 1960 was out of pocket and then as it got more expensive over time there was an expectation for the insurance to cover it because it's just more and more expensive and currently in 20 sorry in 2020 out of pocket is 9.4 percent i can also compare non like health not not exactly healthcare but like um cosmetic cosmetic services and they've only increased they've increased over the span of, I don't know, 60 years by like 38%, whereas inflation was 66%, whereas the uh, medical care increased by 132%, and hospitals by 230% over that same period. So, I mean, and again, it's, it's, it's cosmetic surgery. I'm not saying it's, it's identical apple, apples to apples comparison, but I'm just showing examples here where the private sector Reduces price, and you know the the conservative Ben Shapiro thing with LASIK surgery and all that. Like these these things go become cheaper over time, and when you have either insurance or or like semi government plus insurance, um, 
they go more expensive with time. But I don't think I don't think insurance is the correct way to pay for just any healthcare. I think insurance is like more of an emergency, and then everything else should be accessible enough to pay out of pocket. But if like you need, obviously, if if you need like a, a major operation or you or you had an accident, yes, that's what insurance is supposed to cover. I mean, I don't. You're just making it way more complicated. I mean, somebody in the United States, I see that our healthcare system is the most privatized in like developed world. It's, I guess it's not true Singapore. though. It's not true. I guess except for Singapore, um, and like we just pay way more per capita than every other developed nation that has a socialized healthcare system. Okay, I mean, so like, look, copy, copy the UK, then see how it works out. Let me know because here it's really it bad. Probably we, work we, out better. No, I don't think so. I think it'll be even more expensive. First of all, first of all, if if you read my example of uh, cost disease socialism, if you read the last point, you will never, you can never nationalize the healthcare system in the U.S. It's just way too big for any politicians to commit to it now. It's there's no way. Like it's it'll be so disruptive, and no politician will will agree to to step in that uh, hornet's nest. So. It's kind of like, you know, with cost disease socialism, now that it's more and more and more expensive, it's less and less and less likely to be nationalized. Okay. Okay, anyway, yes, uh, Sierra or Panzer, whichever you prefer. Let's, uh, let's end it here. All at right, man. At hey, least you, no, at least, uh, I know but, it's like contentious. It was contentious at times, but it, I had fun and I have no hard feelings towards like nothing personal, man. Sure, I wasn't, uh, wasn't insulted. But I, I would... With regards to the last one in the world data, when I when I quoted two thousand, this is probably where I got the original one from. Okay, well, I mean, like different different organizations calculate these statistics and with different right, that, different methodologies. Fair. It's not surprising that you would have different results. That's fair. I'm just saying this is probably where I remember it from, and that's why I, what I quoted, not not to uh, mislead. Look, I a couple times in this conversation, I accuse you of being dishonest. I retract that. I don't think that you're dishonest. I I think that you. I I think that a couple of the things that you were quoting are. Well, thank I you. I appreciate that. Dishonest. I appreciate that. Anyway, yeah, did... no worries. I I hope to talk to you again. It was fun. Okay. Bye, guys. Yeah. See ya. Bye, Ryan. Bye. Bye. Yes, stands right there.